Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Bria Rao, Executive Editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Kara Saban, the CEO of Sundial Brands. Welcome, Kara. Hi, Priya. I'm so happy to be here. We're so excited to have you, Kara. So, Kara, I, you've had a storied career in beauty for those people who may not know. But tell us a little bit about how you first got interested in beauty. Were you a beauty junkie, like as a girl growing up, or were you somebody who came into this much later in life? A little, a little bit of both, quite actually. Uh, so, when I was little, very young, I'd say elementary school, I think like a lot of young girls, I admired my mother and my grandmother and would get lost in their vanity cabinet and play with their perfumes and their makeup and, you know, smell the products. Um, And then I think as I got into high school, I was a little bit of a tomboy. So I, you know, played sports and uh, went through a phase where I thought beauty was just superficial and, and not really important. But then uh, later in, in life, as I started to really, you know, enter the early phases of my career, um, I was talking to a friend that I had interned with who, uh, after our internship at Kraft Foods, she went into beauty and was working at L'Oreal. And through those conversations, she was describing beauty as an industry in a way that I had not, you know, known was possible if you're working in consumer products. And so she talked about how fast paced it was and creative and dynamic. And um, so eventually I, I wound up at L'Oreal. And the minute I walked in the door, I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. Um, the mixture of working on something uh, short term, but also thinking for the future, um, playing with products, working with R&D, working with scientists, developing creative, all of that, I just found so, so interesting. But I do think those seeds were planted uh, as, a, as a little girl in, in, in playing with products in my you know, mother and my grandmother's bathrooms. Carol, when you think about, you know, your, your experience at Kraft, you know, one thing, even though the lines between beauty and personal care and beauty and consumer has blurred so much in the last few years, what would you say, like looking back, how different these two categories still are and, and were? It's, I, I really appreciate that question because I do think there's a difference. I think there's an innate intimacy to beauty. There's a, a personal nature uh, that doesn't really exist in other categories. And when I think back to my early experiences with beauty, I, I, I realized that they are synonymous with love and intimacy. So if I think about being a young girl and Sunday was wash day and my mom would do my hair and I'd sit between her knees and she would be braiding my hair, those moments of interacting with those beauty products and those scents and those smells were also tied to these moments of love and care. And so I think beauty is, um, it's very personal, it's intimate, and um, wrapped up in that are perceptions of identity, confidence. Um, so it, it hits in a very emotional way uh, that I think other categories don't necessarily. So that's a good segue, Kara. You know, obviously you've worked at some really iconic brands, you know, NARS being most recent, and Clinique and Neutrogena. And I think all of them at various points had that really powerful emotional connection. But now you're at Sundial, which is through and through. I mean, probably the most, the brand that you probably had a lot of emotion and love for. So could you describe your past experiences a little bit? And then now being at a brand that's so beloved and so probably tied to identity, uh, the way that you think about it. Sure. Uh, yeah, I've been really fortunate to have a career where I've worked on a lot of really well-known brands that mean a lot to, to many consumers. 
Um, but I did not know until I became the leader of Sundial that it would be possible to have my own personal passion align so closely with that of a brand. Um, I think oftentimes, uh, you know, brands may be well known, they may have incredible products, but the purpose element and the uh, mission and what do they stand for and why do they exist is a little undefined. And within Sundial, if you take Shea Moisture as an example, it's so crystal clear that we unapologetically exist to serve Black women in the Black community. And that is something that I've never experienced before leading leading a company and, and leading a brand. And I think what's special about Shea Moisture is what you're alluding to is that the community built us to be who we were. We happened to come about at a time when the natural hair movement, as, in, as an example, was just starting and women Black women specifically really helped us develop this brand. We co-created products with them. They told us what ingredients were interesting to them. And so they're really personally invested and engaged. And that level of engagement around what we stand for and our products is just really dynamic and super fulfilling. When you think about this role and coming into this role late last year, you know, is that what was so attractive about this company? Because, you know, NARS, Clinique, Neutrogena, some of your other brands in your portfolio, you know, they necessarily, they may have had a target, but it wasn't maybe as specific or as purposeful as this target. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple of things attracted me to this role. One was uh, AC Eggleston Bracey. So she's the one that hired me into the organization. You, you probably know her. I believe she's, you know, maybe been on, on, uh, on this podcast. And she is someone that I have admired from afar uh, within the industry and has just really done some remarkable things. So the opportunity to work with her was super appealing. Um, and then Sundial more specifically to be able to, you know, it was terrifying, but also super exciting at the same time to be able to take over this business from a family that really cultivated this beautiful legacy. Um, And so to be able to uh, take what they have built and put it in a position that we hope will continue to grow exponentially was was very exciting. And then Unilever, um, as a company, the more I I went through the interview process, I I became more aware about about Unilever and its focus and its mission and really everything uh, under our umbrella, it, it, we have to be focused on a purpose and a mission. And a lot of companies say that, but Unilever really uh, makes sure that the leaders of their businesses are helping to further drive that. And so all of those elements were really uh, compelling to me. So Kara, just a question though, you know, being someone from the outside, especially for a brand like Shea Moisture, which was so family built and so much operated by the people who had been there forever, mm-hmm. when you saw the opportunity of what you could bring, and this, and I, I don't mean this just for Shea Moisture, but all four of the brands mm-hmm. in the portfolio, it must have been kind of a shock to the people who had worked there and and you know thought about these brands in a very specific but probably different way. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure, you know. Um, Within the organization, we definitely have people that have been with the brand um, pre-acquisition. And then we also have people that have joined uh, post-acquisition. And uh, I I think because of my background and what I am bringing to the table, my hope is that it's very complementary to what has been developed by the family. Um, I, I, I am coming at it from 
a perspective of growth and um, trying to cultivate uh, an infrastructure and a team and expand globally and, and things that the family had started to do. But I think with the, the, the resources of Unilever, we're able to really do that um, exponentially and, and, and quicker than, than perhaps if the company had continued to stand alone. And I, and I believe that is you know, part of the drive as to why that partnership came to be is that um, you know, we wanted to untap this one plus one equals three dynamic. And so it's really important to me in this position that I maintain the specialness and the uniqueness of what makes this uh, company special, but also uh, tap into the resources of Unilever that, are, that enable us to make a, a broader and, and deeper impact. When you think about growth pre-pandemic, what did that entail for your plan for these brands, especially as we think about digital and, and global domination, which I think you're alluding to? Yeah. You know, I, we were looking at a lot of things that I think many businesses were, you know, making sure that we're exceeding our business plan, um, looking long term to our innovation pipeline, um, looking at our, our growth expansion plans. And then uh, as COVID hit, uh, we really, it just really redirected all of our energy. And I think while um, it was incredibly disruptive, not just for, for the business, but for the people that work on their on, on our business, um, it, it provided us an opportunity to be hyper-focused. And so I'd say we didn't change strategies, but it really just um, reinforced the strategies that we had and brought more intention and urgency to what we were going to do. So one of the things that we quickly did was taking our community commerce model, which is a proceeds model where we reinvest back into entrepreneurs and, and to the communities that support us and decided to um, develop a, a fund that is focused on COVID relief. And so we had a couple of partnerships, one with We Buy Black, another that we called Unsung Business Heroes. And we knew the first order of business was how do we release grant money immediately to help uh, fund these entrepreneurs. But tied to that, we believe that education and mentorship and uh, resources are also important. And so um, in the next week, we'll be going live with our e-lab, which will help these businesses develop recovery plans. Um, and so that's you know COVID. And then as we come into May, with the, the death of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and, and Breonna Taylor and all of the social uh, unrest, social justice unrest that was happening in the country, we knew that we had to step up. And so we uh, developed a social justice coalition um, and we've been assembling an advisory board, which we will announce shortly. I wish I could share the details with you here, but, but not quite yet. Um, and so that is something that as a brand, we have to move with the community and we have to be nimble. Um, so we didn't change our strategy or our focus or our business plans or our growth um, focus, but we have really doubled down on, on things that are important to the community. When you think about that community and that transparency that it's looking for right now and the support that it's looking for, you know, what was top of mind for you? Because I know that you guys had discussions like around mental health mm -hmm. in May around George Floyd and you had discussions about, you know, being black in America, mm -hmm. what that looks like. And, you know, it was a call to action. You know, I'm sure that was prompted by your own four walls, but also by who are buying your products. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's one of the um, 
that's one of the elements that makes being a, a leader on this business a big responsibility because we, as we were experiencing everything that other Americans were experiencing, whether it be the impact of COVID to our communities and our families, or the, the feelings of trauma that um, were brought about in, in May and in June, we are fundamentally a collection of people that are experiencing things personally, but we knew that we needed to not just be there for the community, but really show up and provide resources and doing this in real time. And so when we had the IG Live where we were talking about the um, systemic, uh, the trauma from systemic racism and oppression, we were having our, our own uh, reconciliations about what does that mean? And, uh, you know, not really having the privilege to say, I'll handle that when I'm ready because I am so personally processing it. We knew that we had to get out there and provide this platform and, and provide these uh, discussions. And so it's a it's a responsibility, but it, it really is a privilege that we know that our community is is looking to us to help uh, navigate some of these these difficult times. How would you say that runs in parallel with actual day-to-day business? Because that's a huge conversation to be having and, you know, to be thinking about all the time, but then also thinking about our stores closed mm-hmm. or retail workers being impacted. Like, are people buying shampoo and moisturizer in the aisle the way they used to? Like, I imagine that's conflicting, but also they're all happening at the same time. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's conflicting, but they definitely are all happening at the same time. And so uh, one of the things that we've seen in some of the categories that that we operate in, um, particularly in the early days of, of uh, the stay-at-home orders in many states, a lot of beauty supply stores uh, were closed. A lot of uh, big retailers were closed. Salons were closed. And so one of the things that we've seen uh, is people um, still wanting to take care of their hair or their skin, but doing it at home. And so... Um, to, to that end, we started uh, developing content uh, called At Home with Shea. And so we know that people are, you may not be able to go to the salon and, and get a deep treatment, but you can buy a, a conditioning mask and, and do that at home. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, it, it definitely has all been happening at the same time. And then the other side of that is we know that a lot of those business owners of those beauty supply stores or those salons um, are experiencing difficulty through COVID. And so we've been trying to service them through some of our other programs. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're, we're it, it is part of our day-to-day business. What do you think about this ongoing conversation that we're seeing now since May about, you know, buying from Black businesses, buying from Black-founded businesses and supporting that ongoing? And, you know, you're seeing a wave of brands reap the benefits of that from big to small. And, you know, big retailers like Walmart or, or Sephora are rethinking the way that they shop in aisle. But, you know, do you think this is a flash in the pan? Do you think this is long lasting? Like, you know, because there's a lot happening all at once. Like what's going to be the mm-hmm. like the guiding light going forward for I, these businesses? I, yeah, I certainly hope it's not a flash in the pan. I, I think it's really high time. Um, and we are so fully in support of these conversations around supporting Black founders and Black businesses. Um, we, uh, as Shea Moisture, developed uh, what we call the Shea List that you can see. And so it's a listing of the over 100 businesses that we have we admire, first and foremost, but that we've also personally invested in 
to help cultivate and, and help them grow. Um, and then yesterday, uh, we announced our partnership with Brown Girl Jane, which is uh, um, founded by three Black women, and it's a wellness uh, beauty brand. And through that partnership, we are encouraging consumers to take the Brown Girl Swap pledge where they take five of their existing beauty products and swap them for products that are founded by um, Black women. And so we think it's really important uh, that that uh, Black women founders and Black businesses get the attention uh, and support that they deserve. So certainly hope that this is not a flash in the pan. What about from the retail piece? Because, you know, everybody's kind of thinking the way that they present some of these products in aisle, whether it's a Walmart or a CVS, even Sephora, and just the way that maybe some of the profiling has happened in the past around African-American customers, African-American associates, like what people um, are perceiving in their own unconscious or conscious bias. Yeah, you know, it's, it's difficult for me to speak from a, a retailer perspective because we're not a retailer, but I think what many um, ingenious found, founders have done is they've just gone direct to consumer. And so um, that, you know, kind of has taken out the need to um, have to go through the machine of some of these big box retailers. But what is exciting to see is that some of these retailers are now bringing those brands into their stores um, and I, I think for, for many of those founders, they're, um, you know, trying to make the right decision. When is the right time to really um, go for big distribution in bricks and mortar uh, versus continuing uh, direct to consumer? But I do think a lot of the conversations that we've been having over the past several weeks are um, around basically dismantling systemic oppression and racism. And so... Um, you know, to, to, to be having conversations about how to be anti-racist and to um, dismantle white privilege. Like these were not common conversations that people were having in corporate America, whether it be with retailers or partners or, or, or anything like that. So I, I think that is a positive that has come out of, um, of, of these recent events is that we are having conversations that will hopefully lead to lasting systemic change and not just be a flash in the pan. You mentioned di- direct consumer a second ago, and I'm just wondering, you know, for for this community, for your community of customers, how active have they been with D2C and how active have they turned to you there? Because I know you guys have been so great in the past about activating in real time with them, you know, whether it's at Essence Fest or, you know, other community initiatives and projects, you know, but now when you can't meet in person, some of that like liveliness is, is lost. Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge and, and, and we're having to pivot in a, in a big way. And, and that is part of the magic of what built Shea Moisture as a brand and the connection with the community, the high touch engagement was having these physical events, these one-on-one touch points. Um, and so that is gone. And so we, we really have pivoted to the virtual space and we've um, had a couple of, of sessions, um, whether they be branded for Shea Moisture or we've participated in other events. And I think we're all figuring it out. You know, I think some people are they're fatigued from Zoom and Teams and, you know, I don't know how many Zoom birthday parties you've been on. <laughs> I had one for my dad last month. And <laughs> and it's just the reality of our world right now is that uh, things that we want to do in person, we have to do virtually. And so I'm, I'm hoping that more creativity and ingenuity will come out of uh, of the circumstances that we're in. 
Are you trying new things like whether it be live streaming or Instagram shop or, you know, TikTok, what that looks like today when, again, like real life is not real life like it used to be? Yeah, we're, we're experimenting. We're doing a lot of test and learn. So we're test, we're doing a lot of test and learn on different platforms. We're using IG Live. Um, we're, we're exploring everything. Um, and then in terms of shopping, we have a pretty robust uh, e-commerce business. Um, and, you know, I think social shopping is definitely an area of opportunity as well. Um, and so a lot of that, uh, all of those things we're considering. What about for some of the other brands within your portfolio? Like, how are they doing? How are they kind of faring in this environment? I'm so excited. I'm excited for Shea Moisture because it's an incredible brand. The other three brands in our portfolio, um, I think there's nothing but upside and, and huge opportunity. And they're each beautiful brands in their own way. So uh, M- M- MCJW, Madam CJ Walker, um, is an incredible brand, um, obviously named for a historic figure, not just in Black history, but in American business and uh, the legacy uh, around hair care and, and also the, the sense of purpose. Um, and then we have Nikeo, founded by the lovely Nikeo Grico, and uh, she's doing a really great business on Target.com right now. Um, and has a clean beauty positioning with skincare products. So it's, you know, complementary to the rest of our portfolio. And then we have Nubian Heritage, which is mostly in the the health and wellness channel. But, um, you know, with all of us uh, taking care of our hygiene and washing our hands, we're we're seeing, um, you know, a a resurgence of that business in in certain categories. And so I think um, that's what the future growth opportunity is for Sundial Brands is, is um, looking at, at each of those and, and cultivating strong plans. You know, one thing I was listening to, Kara, the way that you described each of these brands is like, you know, obviously I know Unilever does an amazing job at incubation and also acquisition. And, you know, one area that's grown beauty wide is, you know, diverse foundation shades, diverse mm-hmm. color concealer shades. And that seems to be an area that you would naturally play in, but you know, it doesn't seem that Sundial is yet playing there. Is this something that's on your mind in terms of branding or positioning or acquisition or incubation? Well, if it were, I probably wouldn't tell you. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that, I, yeah, I think um, makeup and I I obviously have had a lot of experience in makeup and uh, and have been proud of, of the work that I've done to make those brands that I've worked on more inclusive. Um, and it, it certainly is a super exciting segment. Uh, I believe Shea Moisture at one point did play in makeup and in foundation and in some other categories. So, you know, I, I'll never say never. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that's where I'll leave that. <laughs> and what about the broader wellness conversation? Because I know that some of your brands touch in that. And obviously the self-care conversation has really reached fever pitch right now when people are at home and stay, following stay-at-home orders still. So is that kind of dotted line between beauty and wellness something that you're focused on for the Black community as well? Yeah, wellness is, is super important. And I think, you know, for some people, their perception of wellness is wearing yoga pants and drinking smoothies and, you know, kind of meditating, which obviously that is a form of, of wellness. I think when it comes to our community and our consumers, health and wellness um, encompasses additional things. So there's there's mental health, there's, um, you know, taking care of your physical health. I think 
what COVID has shown the world is the health disparities uh, among black and brown uh, people versus the general market. And so we very much um, care about the health and wellness of our community and our products uh, being natural, being clean. There's, uh, you know, that's one level where you have the absence of, of, of bad ingredients, but um, really being a champion for wellness um, going forward is something that I think is a natural, a natural territory for us. And when you think about global expansion, Kara, you know, I'm wondering, you know, what would be the right fit as the rest of the world becomes more and more diverse? Like what is top of mind in that area? Well, when you think about hair as a category, um, three quarters of women consider their hair to be textured hair. And so one of the things that I think the founders of Shea Moisture did very brilliantly is they separated the conversation of hair type with ethnicity um, because it, it really is uh, really about the texture of the hair. And so as you look at other markets outside of the United States, which is obviously super diverse, there are pockets of opportunity, you know, whether you're talking, you know, Southeast Asia or the Middle East or Latin America, Europe, um, what textured hair is, is, is different things. Um, but what we will always do as a brand, and I'm speaking Shea Moisture right here, is um, center Black women. And so if you think about Black people across the diaspora, across the world, um, there are millions and millions and millions of people. And so we believe that centering Black women in everything that we do um, is actually a way to unlock growth opportunity versus uh, being narrowly focused. What about the perception of beauty overall? You know, we we talk about products in one vein and then we're talking about like how these women see themselves as beautiful and powerful and confident. And it seems like you guys are obviously doing that in tandem. But, you know, even when you look at the way that influencers are being used in campaigns or models are being used in campaigns from traditional brands, it's usually like one woman of color or whether and that kind of speaks to like the cross section of ethnicities. So, do you kind of foresee that changing in the way that like industry wide, um, so that this point of confidence and and celebration is really being celebrated throughout? I, I hope it's going to change. Um, having worked on mainstream brands, I was part of many of those conversations and trying to urge. Um, whether it be a creative director or, you know, our president or whoever, um, that we need more than token tokenism in terms of representation. So um, where I am now, we're not even really having those conversations because everyone understands that innately that we need to um, show an inclusive uh, perspective on beauty. But I, my hope is, yes, that the industry will... Um, broaden their perspective of, of what's beautiful, whether it you know be ethnicity or body type or gender identity. Um, I, I think that is what is demanded. And when you think about how you work with partners and like how they view that, you know, whether it's a Target or a Walmart or a creative agency, like I imagine those relationships are being put under a stress test too, because you know you want to be working with like-minded people and businesses. Right. That that's one of the most satisfying elements of my job. Quite frankly, is we and I help enforce this with my team. It's really important that we walk the talk, and so we don't want to just be saying that we are about inclusivity and supplier diversity. We actually have to walk that talk, and so. Um, 
no matter if it's a partner that's developing, you know, a campaign for us or when we were still physically meeting uh, where I would have my monthly town halls. And if we ordered snacks, I would make sure that the, you know, bakery was a black owned bakery or, you know, the founder was, you know, a woman of color. And so it's quite liberating to be very clear about your mission, whether it be how you interact with consumers or how you interact in a B2B uh, capacity with, with vendors and partners and suppliers. Um, so we, you know, that's, that's what we live day in and day out. How different though, is that from your former life at some of these other companies? I mean, I imagine that people weren't necessarily thinking about who this person supplying snacks were or (laughs) what the drinks were, you know, you're CEO of this company. Yeah. No, it's night and day, which is why it's so liberating is that I get to call the shots and make sure that, um, and it's, it's not even like a heavy lift. I mean, my entire organization understands that this is what we're about. And so it's, it's very, very different. Very, very different. And Kara, you know, I mean, I know a lot of other companies right now are going through, you know, their own reckoning in terms of hiring and recruiting and, you know, looking at a diverse talent pool. How do you go about that? Go about hiring and recruiting? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, um, so we, we have a very diverse team. We have a diverse executive leadership team and throughout the organization, I'm proud that, that we have a very diverse team. Um, you know, we have this conversation around equity and equality. And, uh, so my perspective is, uh, when it comes to talent recruitment and retention and promotion from within, um, again, I want my organization to be reflective of the, the consumer that we serve. And so um, that is is my North Star is making sure that we are considering diverse candidates for uh, each and every position and within our organization, making sure that we are um, promoting and retaining and, and doing right by, by everyone. And I know that you Sundial necessarily doesn't strictly stick to the beauty industry. And I'm thinking of Simone right now, mm-hmm. right? She didn't necessarily have a beauty background the way that, you know, maybe you do. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that is also such a different way of approaching business. Mm-hmm. Could you describe that a little bit? Yeah, Simone is wonderful. So Simone, you know, comes from the the not-for-profit world. Uh, she worked with uh, the National Urban League and while her background isn't necessarily in beauty, it is so perfectly fit for what she's doing, which is driving uh, community commerce and purpose. And so uh, whether it be working with our entrepreneurs or um, developing and, and um, working on the social justice coalition, that is the skill set that, that is needed. You know, someone within beauty wouldn't necessarily know how to go about that. And so um, I think diversity can come in, in many shapes and forms, and, and that is something I'm really proud of is that, uh, you know, the organization isn't filled with, uh, you know, ex-beauty ex professionals. We, we have uh, really diversity in background as well. And I guess lastly for you, Kara, I'm thinking about, you know, as you plan or try to plan the next back half of the year and early into 2021, like what do you want to focus on? Because there are so many different priorities at play right now. Yeah. And that, you know, that's been a a big learning experience, I think for me and for the team is that we innately want to do everything and we want to do it fast. 
but that's not really sustainable. <laughs> and, you know, I, I have to be mindful that, that the team, you know, I don't want the team to burn out and, and we all have this drive and this energy. Um, but as we, we look to next year and knowing that we probably will be continuing to live with COVID, um, looking at our business plans, looking at our partnerships, looking at our initiatives and, and keeping that in mind and, um, you know, continuing to bring focus and, and prioritization to what we're doing so we can make the biggest impact possible. Perfect. Thank you so much, Kara. That was so great having you today. Thank you, Priya. It was so wonderful to be with you. Take care. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. See you next week.